hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin West. To order or download additional resources, please visit kevinwest.org. You know, the Lord can be experienced, but He's very difficult to be able to explain. Right? He'll let you prophesy on His behalf but then he's not that predictable. You can't predict him. You know, he'll let you know him, but he's very difficult to understand. Isn't it crazy? So we have all these promises that are tied to the knowledge of God, but yet understanding him is difficult. We have all these people give you prophetic words all the time. I, you know, I'm still waiting on some of them to come to pass. Some I've I hope they don't ever come to pass because I've had people give me words and I'm thinking, oh my God, I don't want that thing to come to pass. Um, but I've got, because Jim Delbridge said, you're gonna, the Lord said you're gonna need to write another book. I've written two and he said, you're gonna need to write another book. And I thought, no, you bind that in Jesus' name. That's the hardest thing I ever did. Uh, but those kind of things, the Lord give you, but he's not predictable. So you just go, how's this gonna, how many people are hanging on to a promise? A, 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 and I say prophetic word, a word that is spoken into your future, maybe by somebody that confirms something or you have something in your heart and, you're, and you haven't seen it come to pass and it's been like time delayed. You know, we're talking like not just weeks or months, we're talking about years. Anybody have one of those? You know, yeah, well, I think we probably all have some to some degree. And so God, why do you have somebody prophesy or have that in my heart and it'd be years gone by um, before it ever comes to pass if, if, if still waiting on it to come to pass? Or why is it that you have an experience with him and when you have that experience, you try to explain it to somebody else what you experienced, but the way you explain it doesn't do them justice, do it justice. So no matter how you try to find the words to explain what God has just done in your life or doing in your life, you, you try to explain it and you can't find the vocabulary to even give it just, justification. And you go, you just have to experience it for yourself. So the Lord allows you to attempt to explain it, but for whatever reason, we fall short on the explanation. If you turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 14, I'm gonna read a, a passage of scripture. Numbers 14, you can do it in the New King James if you want, or, or the New King James, or the King James, either one is fine. Numbers 14, one through nine. And I'm gonna take us on a quick journey. Are we there? Oh, good. I got a screen in the back. Now everybody take a look in the back back there. There's a screen back there. Don't, don't get excited. It's not really the scripture that they put that up there for. It's that clock up in that left-hand corner. <laughs> That's for everybody's benefit that I know the time. Verse one, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and of Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and go back to Egypt. What's this? Then Moses and Aaron 
the two that really were responsible for bringing them out of Egypt, fell on their face before all the people, all the assemblies of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, ran off their clothes, tore off their clothes, and they spoke to all the, the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Listen, only do not rebel against the Lord, nor, what's this? Nor fear the people of that land, for they are our bread. Let me read that again. Only don't rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of that land, for the people are our bread. Their protection has departed from them and the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the meeting before all the children of Israel. Now, as I've been reading this passage of scripture, and in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about um, Christ and you're gonna see Christ here in just a moment through this whole process. But you know, I feel like I'm on this quest to help readjust how we see Christ, how we see life, how we tackle and engage in problems and, and issues, but also the responsibility of how much of this is our responsibility, how much is this God's responsibility, how much of this is me fighting me and me fighting the devil, how much of it is do I initiate or do I wait on God to initiate? How much is it, do I push or does he push or do I pull or he pulls? Or am I struggling against him or am I struggling against the enemy? And, and, and where is, where, why am I not seeing come to pass some things that I know in my heart that are promises of the Lord? They're in the Bible, I can quote them, the kids just prayed some of them. And then why is it that I don't see some of those things come to pass? Why don't I see my, why don't I see, let me get real personal here. Why don't I see my husband quit drinking when I know for 20 years that I've been praying that him quit drinking and he continually gets progressively worse? Why is that? I'm living the life I'm supposed to be. The first thing we begin to do is take a personal inventory of ourselves, think, thinking that we have that much control over his personal life that we begin to think, okay, now that I've got all this, what is, am I doing that if I quit doing, God will then move on him to stop his drinking? And I'm doing all I can do, and we begin to take this personal inventory of our lives not that we shouldn't personal inventory. I'm just saying, when you think you have, God is holding something back in his life because you're doing something you should or shouldn't be doing, it is not a matter of just how good you are that God causes God to release his promise in somebody else's life. It's his goodness that causes that man to repent. Not your goodness. Our goodness and righteousness is as filthy rags. Right now, that doesn't mean we don't. We're not good stewards. We're not diligent. We're not dis disciplined. We, we we're, we're all of that. But we have to get. We can't get the cart before the horse. This thing is about him, his goodness, his authoring and his finishing, his beginning and his ending, and it's all wrapped up in him. We just get to participate and have faith, trust in what God says about him. And when you have faith and confidence and trust in what God says about himself, you then begin to have confidence in you because your confidence is in him. 
And he begins to do things and work out things that are so detailed that you don't even know the details are even there. He begins to do the, he knows the backstory and the front story. When we're trying to always fix the backstory, we're trying to space it just right and fix it just, that's not how this works. Now the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt. Moses and Aaron had gone to them and said, listen, you've been here 430 years. 10 generations have gone by and they, 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 they just adjusted to everyday life in Egypt, working in a system that caused them to be less than what God had desired for them. Imagine having a dream or a vision or an idea or have some sort of hope, but yet your circumstances, surroundings don't give you the ability to pursue those dreams. There's always a limitation. There's always something that stops you short. And every time you, you feel like, gosh, I could just go after this, and the rug gets pulled out from underneath you, and you're, just, you're almost, almost looking for the rug to be pulled out from underneath you because you, you've been here before. That's what happened over in Egypt. They could own a house. They could, own, they could work in businesses. They could build cities. They could raise kids. They could be a part of education. They could be a part of technology. They could be a part of architecture. They could be a part of agriculture. They could be a part of the commerce and economy. They could be a part of all those things. However, no matter how hard they tried, it was always going to be building for somebody else. But God gives us this, 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 this desire on the inside of our hearts to create something that can only be created by you and him. He places a dream in your heart. Here's what's happened to this, the, the America. It's happened to a lot of people in the church. We've dreamed, we've desired, we've started, we failed. We got setbacks, we got disappointed, we got hurt, we got sick. All these things happen to us and in the journey along the way, we get frustrated we get discouraged and the fight, we lose the fight and we lose sight of what God said when he put it in your heart to begin with. So what we do is in the journey, we get weary in our doing well. And as we're journeying on and we get weary, we look back and we start measuring out, God, now I've come too far here and I really don't wanna be here because this is an in-between place. And I look back and I go, God, I don't want to go back to that place because it's too far to go back. However, you start remembering it wasn't as bad back then as it is right now. Comfortable surroundings looks like security, but it really is an a deceptive tool to keep you from ever progressing in life. It looks like security. It feels like security. You have some good memories back then. And when you have good memories back then, you begin to go, let me just tag some of those good memories and say, yeah, it, it was good. This, this, it, it was good. How many people are willing to leave that even though you could have just stayed there the rest of your life and that season of your life and stayed there and, and everything was gonna be okay and people are gonna still applaud you and you, you had people around you that were just as miserable as you were. So misery loves company, so everybody's just... And then you, all of a sudden you go, I can't take this anymore. Somebody provokes you. Those people would have never left Egypt 
if Moses had to come to them and say, listen, you don't have to stay here. Once you hear the call to come out from complacency, once you hear the call to come out of ordinary, once you hear the call and somebody opens up your ears and eyes to see it, it wakes something up in your heart and your heart begins to go, oh, that's what I've been, that causes me to breathe. That causes me to give excitement, uh, anticipation. And then you begin to weigh it out going, yeah, but guys, look what I have here. To, are you willing to risk all of the security and the complacency to step out and it get all messy for you? Between the security and the complacency and the ordinary and the way it always has been and the time and place of the fulfillment of those promises that God has for your life, the fruition of the, the, the culmination of all those dreams and you're experiencing them in actual life, between there and the actuality is a mess, it's painful, it hurts, it's scary, you're blaming everybody else and you're blaming yourself and they're blaming you. You wish you had never heard the call to come forward and come out. Am I talking to anybody? It'd be better off if you just stayed in retirement than to come out of retirement. Because when you come out of retirement, because out of retirement into the place that God has called you to be, it's messy, it's ugly, it's work, it's painful. Better yet, you have a risk to lose it all. You could die here in in between. You could lose it all in between. So here's what we did. We have the memories of Egypt. We have the actuality of life in between because we've already decided to come out. And if you're sitting here today, you've already decided to come out. I promise you, I promise you, there's something inside of you that's already moving. It's shaking, it's turning, it's, it's already conceived, it's just a matter of letting that thing develop. It's already in your heart. And once you've come out of here and you're into this place, you can't undo where you were. Moses and Aaron brought those children of Israel out of Egypt across the Red Sea. The Red Sea closed up behind them. Once you come out and it closes up behind you, you do not have the opportunity to go back. You can have a want to to go back, but you can't go back. Why? Because you already have the experience even though you can't explain it. You have the knowledge even though you don't have the understanding. You have the prophetic word of the dream to go forward, but you can't predict how it's gonna happen. And once that bug has bitten you, you've got to go forward. So you've got two different types of people. There's more than that, but I want to talk about two real quickly. You've got, you've got Moses and Aaron. Here's what they did. Moses and Aaron that brought the people out of Egypt, the leaders, the man that said face to face with Pharaoh said, God said, let my people go. The man that had the, the, the rod in his hand and turned it into a, a serpent and then the, and his rod eat up the, 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 the magician's serpent. The one that stuck his hand in his bosom and it became leprosy and he stuck it, pulled it out and he put it back in again and it was healed. The man that watched the, the, the Red Sea open and close and Pharaoh drown in the Red Sea. That man and Aaron, 
They went back, they went into the king's palace and had face-to-face conversations. Says, listen, God said he's got a place for his people and you've got people in bondage, you've got people in limitations and you put so many restrictions and constraints on people that they're desiring to do more. But this environment, this culture doesn't allow them to be all they're supposed to be. Face-to-face. They let him, he lets them go. Miracle after miracle. And then when the people start complaining because they're in between, how do I, it was, did God, listen, they, they start questioning God. Did God bring us out so we would die here? Wouldn't it have been easier if we just stay over there and die? Right. See, most people don't know anything about healing and that God does miracles and God's moving today. God speaks to you today. Most tell you to talk about the memorial of God instead of the current news of God. But once you become aware of the current news of God, you're seeking the current news of God in your life. Not what God did, but what God is doing. We appreciate what he did and we build on what he did, but I wanna know what he's, gonna, what he's doing now, what he's gonna do. Am I, am I talking to anybody? But once you heard that and that becomes alive in you, you have one or two choices. You can go back in memorializing God or you can go into the current events of God. And the current events of God is your life because you're alive. It's what he did back then, but it's what he's doing right now. So you get a frustrated time and once you've already made that decision to come out, so you begin to weigh it out. Guys, would it have been better? Did God just bring us out here? It'd be easier, we could die there, we could die here. Moses and Aaron hit the ground. They, they cry out, God, they're hurting. Why? Because they feel responsible for bringing these people out because all they could see was they were dying. We're gonna die, we should have died there, we're gonna die here. All they saw was death. All they heard was fear. All they heard was, oh, we're in the middle of this thing and it's, the bottom's gonna fall out on. That's all they heard. But there was two guys, and God always has a, a man, named Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb were two of the, tw- the spies, the 12 spies, that went over into the land of promise, a place, a culture, a land that was gonna allow them to be all they were supposed to be. A place where they could dream, pursue their dreams, create with God, and see it really come to pass. And they all experienced it. See, it's one thing having a dream and then have somebody else living inside of your dream while it's still a dream. But it's another thing, starting a business. Tell the person while it's still a dream, you create that business, somebody else comes in and starts working in the business you created, they heard it when it was still a dream, but now they're living in it because it's not a dream anymore, it's a reality. There's something about people that have walked in it and talked in it. They had that experience, and even though they can't explain it, they're not willing to quit. Joshua and Caleb go across, 10 guys come back and say, you guys don't understand. This thing, these people are huge. They were never supposed to go across to see if they should go. They were only supposed to go across and scout the land to see which way to go. If you take the promise of God and make it an option, it's not a promise anymore. If you take the dream that God placed inside of you and make it an option, it's not a dream anymore. A dream is conceived. And once it's conceived, I don't know about you, but I'm pro-life. It's gotta be birth. 
What if it comes out not looking like I thought it should? It's still got life. What if it's hobbling along and it's got some issues and it's, it's, it's got life? And if it's got the life of God in it and it come through me, it's got to go forward. Am I talking to anybody today? So Joshua and Caleb come back and they go, listen, we, listen, I want you to think about it. The two main leaders, Aaron and Moses, are on the ground crying out to God, crying because they got themselves in this situation and all the people too. But Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit. They're from a different way. They look and they, they start ripping off their clothes. It says they tore off their clothes and said, what? Throwing their clothes down and said, not because they were remorseful that the people's condition that we're in, no. They were mad at the people for realizing that they thought that condition was, was gonna be eternal. Joshua and, and, and Caleb said, why are you all talking death like it's final? If you see yourself ending right here, you'll die. If you go back and try to memorialize your past in the good old days, even though they weren't as good as they could be in the future, they were good back then, but there's better days ahead. But as long as you continue to memorialize and you're not willing to build new memories going forward, go ahead and you just sulk and just wish they were the way they used to be and oh my goodness, now I try to make the best of a bad situation or get over yourself. That's what he said. We went into that land. We saw how good it was. We, we, we know where it looks, what it looks like and where it heads. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. What's that mean? It's a land that is smooth. It's a land that's peaceful where you can breathe. It's a culture with no limitations to when you get over there, there's no government over your shoulder. The only government that's over your shoulder is his government, which is God's. And you're not over there trying to maneuver through a bunch of systems. No, it's whatever you're big enough to do over there, do it. Whatever you can dream, dream it. Whatever you can sense, sense it. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. Then they said this. They said, guys, what's wrong with you? Now, I think what they're doing, Caleb and Joshua are standing up. They've ripped off their clothes. They're upset at what they're hearing. Moses and Aaron were moved by their emotions. And they, they were sympathizing and empathizing and compassionate. So they were crying out for them. Joshua and Caleb stood up and said, get up off of yourself. I can have compassion on you too. But the compassion I'm going to show you is I'm going to kick you in the rear end to get you going. You, you've got to go forward. You cannot stop here. That's compassion. I know people that are <laughs> compassionate. And, 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 and man, some of the, the most compassionate people I thought were in my life when I was in the, the biggest mess of my life allowed me to stay in my mess. They hugged me. They cried with me. They threw me 20 bucks, gave me a ride. They did all the things that what looks like was good. I needed somebody to look me in the eye and say, what do you think you're doing? You've got kids, you've got family, you've got promise, you've got dreams, you've got, what do you, what? Get up off yourself and go. I didn't need a massage therapist. Not that I'm against them. I didn't need a hospice nurse. Not that I'm against them either. There's a place for all that. What I needed 
was a physical therapist to start bending and mending and hurting and making me do some stuff I didn't want to do. If you're friends with your physical therapist and you're going through physical therapy, they're not a good physical therapist. You can be friends afterwards because you're gonna owe them a great deal of gratitude for making you go through the hard stuff. If I'm a pastor of this church, I'm a, you're a pastor and I'm looking at you and I'm going, everything gonna be all right, everything gonna be all right. And six months down the road or two years down the road, everything's still gonna be all right. And I haven't challenged you to step up and change, even though you cannot change your circumstances, that you're changing in your circumstances, I'd be a wrong kind of pastor. I'm gonna lead you out into the place where you can't, what I can't explain, but I know I've experienced. I want to lead you into a new place to cause you to dream again without limitations. And you go, man, when I lost it all, you lost it all. If yes, you'll die right there if you quit. But though you lost it all, get back up and keep on going because I know there's a land that flows with milk and honey. Is this helping anybody? It's preaching me happy. So they looked at the people, they said, guys, you got to go. You can't, this, this can't do this anymore. And here's the beautiful part about this. He said, he said, that land that flows with milk and honey, don't rebel against God. Rebel against God. If you ask most Christians and they said, would you want to rebel against God? No. And we think rebelling against God is going out drinking, smoking, chewing, drugging, all those things, rebelling against God. Let me tell you what really is rebelling against God. Don't believe him when he tells you to do something. When he gives you a promise and you question if it's for you or not based on your own merits. His promises are yea and amen. He's the yea and we're the amen. But he's the yea. He's the yes. Our job is just to walk in it, right? It's, he's bound by his word. He's not bound by your word, he's bound by his. He put his word above his name. When, when I get into a hard place and I get in there a lot, especially building this building, I went to the Lord and I said, hey, listen, <laughs> sir, mister, I said, you did start this. I did not conceive this. This was you. This was all you. And I've had that conversation a whole multitude of times. And then every, every time, it always comes back to my head because I'm, I'm still religious in a lot of ways. I look at this thing and I start... Do an inventory, go, okay, what can I do different? Well, okay, Lord, I, I know that was me. I know that was me. That was me. And finally, I have to come to the conclusion is, Lord, if you're gonna author then you're gonna have to finish it. Because I don't, I can experience it, but I can't explain it. And it's just not about the building. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about your job, your career, your movement. It, you know, many people right now are in that season. Joshua and Caleb looked him right in the face and said, guys, listen, if I was them, I'd have said, Moses and Aaron, get up off your face. Get up off your face. We gotta, go, we gotta go. They had already tasted the land. And they looked at them and they said this. They said, you're gonna fear rebel against God? God told us to leave Egypt and go build cities, build communities, build life. That when the rest of the world looks at it, they see it and they go, oh my God, how did you all do that? And we would have to look at them and say, because he's our God and we're his people. There's no other explanation. We're not smarter than the next guy. We just have favor. 
We're not sharper than the next guy. We're not more intelligent, more educated. No, no, there's people out there more educated than us. There's, there is. There, the, the universities are full of them. There's not much, no, but we, we have, what do we have? We have the stamp of him on our lives. And once he stamps you, he can't unstamp you. Because <laughs> he stamped you through Christ. You hear me? This is important. David, okay? Okay. So he says, he says, he says Moses, or Joshua says, you gonna rebel against God? And then he said this, he said, and fear the people? What do you mean the people? You gonna fear the people? He's, then Joshua says this, the people, they are our bread. They're our, didn't say they're our seed. It said they're our bread. Now, the reason that's important is because when they were coming out of Egypt, came out of Egypt, God wanted a place for them to live and for him to live. He wanted a place for them to come down as they were traveling through the wilderness. He wanted a place where he could come down and meet with his people, where he could talk to them, they could talk to him, and they could worship him. He wanted a place. So he set up this, this, this tabernacle, and it was a tabernacle, which means he would come and meet with the people. And this tent, or this tent he, would put to, he put, had him put together, they would put together the exact order. And when he would come down, he would come down in a certain part of that tabernacle, and he would meet directly with the priest. He would meet with the priest on behalf of God, and the, people would, the priest would meet with him on behalf of the people. Okay? But there was one section, and I don't have time to go into the whole tabernacle plan. There's one section that was past the outer court, but it was before the veil. Watch this. Before the veil where God's presence was. And inside of that second layer, it was the, the holy place, the, this inner court, there was a, a lampstand that had candles. But there was this this big table that had bread on that table. Watch this. On that table was this bread, they called it showbread. And that showbread was representative of the presence of God that was there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the priest would go in, make fresh bread, they would eat of that bread, and it would be sustenance and nourishment and strength for their body. Because in the presence of God, which is what that bread showed, and as they eat that bread into their body and consumed it, in the gratitude and thanksgiving of God's presence, it made them strong. It gave them revelation knowledge because on the other side of that showbread was that candlestick that represented the light of revelation and understanding. You following me? Now watch what happened. So when Joshua says, listen, why are you rebelling against God? He told us to go. We've been there. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. The grapes are huge. It's, it's a place that your heart desires to go, but your head and your circumstances limit you. You're yearning to go. You're desiring to go. You're craving to go. 
a place of freedom where the pressures of life are off you, where the, the oppression of, 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 of financial pressures and, and life pressures and relationship pressures and health pressures, and all, they're, just, they're just off of you. They're just gone. They're just really over there. Yeah, that's over there. And he says, but here's the deal. Those people occupy that space. So the only way we're going to occupy it is if we go and take it. You with me? They are our bread. Yeah. Yes. Are you able to come up here? I'll come down there. Is he? Okay. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for healing is the children's bread. I thank you, Lord, that as I touch my brother, I feel wholeness and health and virtue and peace, strength right now into his body. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Thank you for healing. I thank you for a calmness and a peace that does pass understanding. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. How you feeling now? Still a little nervous? Yeah. Yeah, he is. You just want to wait on the tablets? It's your call. Hey, John, let's let him have some space right now. You got him. Let's let him have some space right now. You, Madonna's right with him. Let's just, I feel like he's going to be okay. You feel all right? Okay. Healing is the children's bread. Right? Who else has sugar in here? Yeah. 
Stand to your feet. If you can stand, but you don't mind, stand. Anybody else? Type two, type one, type, type. Whatever it is. Pre. Doesn't matter. Anybody else? That's good. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be afraid. See, when, when you guys remain standing for just a moment. When the word of the Lord is going forward, and I, could, I, I honestly was feeling that thing coming out. God was moving. Revelation was happening. I could feel it. I knew it was coming. There was something, sort of, something in the atmosphere that was creating something to happen into you. I could feel it. And when David got up and went that way, I thought it was that. I thought it was him. But it was actually there. And diabetes, we'll call it by name, was mocking the voice and the word of the Lord today. Right? This is not really a game. This, this is, diabetes isn't just a, an attribute that's tasked to someone. It is a, it's, a, it's, it's a spiritual thing. You all agree with me? Okay, so diabetes can't have a place when the word of the Lord is going forward. Otherwise, we all should have worshiped diabetes. And we almost did. You hear what I'm saying? See what happens? This is how this works. Oh God, I can feel the presence of the Lord. And all of a sudden, this becomes a spiritual thing and then diabetes wants to arrest the presence of God and become God. So we all take attention to that, which is normal because it's right. He was having an issue. But if we discern it spiritually, Moses and Aaron would begin to cry out and say, God's healing. Joshua and Caleb says, who are you to defile the name of the Lord. He needs to be free. Moses and Aaron were compassionate and they, it was, they were not wrong, but somebody's got to know there is a place beyond where God heals people with diabetes. A land that flows with milk and honey, the grapes are great and a place where you have freedom and you're not having to always worry about God. Is my uh, sugar up or is my sugar down? Uh, is my, is my diet th- I'm talking about a place where you're free from it. Supernatural place. So when sugar mocks, diabetes mocks, God has to trump. So Father, in Jesus' name, I command the diabetes to be gone in the lives of these people that are standing up. I curse you, diabetes, at your very root. You have no place in their life. You have no place in their mind. You have tormented them. You have changed the way they function. You have put them in corners. You've scared them. You've caused fear in their families. You've even caused their health to to, to deteriorate in other areas. But I tell you in Jesus' name right now, by the covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ, I curse you and I command you to go back to the pit of hell of which you belong. And I speak freedom over every brother and every sister that's here. And I say, God, you are bound by your word. You said the children have the healing because it's the children's bread. And I say in the name above every name, the author and the finisher of our faith, we will not rebel against you, God, and not trust you and believe you. 
We will stand forward and know that there's a place beyond the, the limitations that we've lived, whether it be physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, or whatever area of our life it is. There is a place beyond that, a place that flows, a place that's ease, a place of peace, and a place of that prosperity, not just with money, but a prosperity of, of wealth and health, where we can stand face to face and say, I feel good today. Not limita- limited by the, the medications that we take and up in the prescription or lower in the prescription based on this or that. I'm talking about something that supersedes all of that. A supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in and through the name of Jesus the Christ. I release healing in this place. And diabetes, you will not mock the name of the Christ. You will not mock our Lord. We won't bow to you. We won't bend to you. We will cast you out and curse you at your very root. That the name above every name That the name of Jesus the Christ, the Jesus of Christ of Nazareth, the one that was and is and is to come, the one that's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, the one that has fire in his eyes that burns up all of those impurities that try to come again in our life, that one that made us righteous in him because of what he has done, that the blood that saved us and cleansed us of all unrighteousness brings us clean and smart and and right to the the throne of grace and says, I have need. And God right now, through that blood, in that name, our King, our Lord, our Savior, there is none like you. There is none other than you. They're not even in the same field as you. They can't compete with you. Even though they mock, they try to get us afraid. We will not be afraid. They try to get us startled and scared and take our concern and our time and our attention and our focus. We will not move. We will move in because the children have the bread from heaven, which is our healing for all nations. Father, we thank you and we bless you. We declare that you are the Lord. We declare you the Lord of our lives, of our body. This body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and it has no right, anything else living in it other than the power of the Almighty God. So Father, in Jesus' name, we bless you. We honor you. And we decree that the name of the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous can run into and be safe. We bless you. We thank you. Would you stand with me? Bring Malachi up here. everybody. I know, buddy. I know. 
Malachi was born with a, what's a cleft lip palate. What is it? He goes in this Thursday, goes to Cincinnati for a surgery this weekend. I think he goes up Thursday and the surgery is Thursday or Friday. Now let me ask you something. Did he sin that would cause that? There's a blind young man in John chapter nine. Blind from birth. He was blind from birth and the disciples said, who sinned, him or his parents? Jesus said, neither. This is for the glory of God to be made known. Now listen, we're not looking at the cause, we're looking at the effect. The cause was the sin of all mankind. The effect was Jesus died on the cross, that this baby don't have to live like this. So he goes in this week for the beginning of many surgeries he'll have, but we're gonna believe 100%, 100% that just like the children of Israel came across Egypt, Red Sea, they didn't even have mud on their feet. Let there not even be a, a scar in this baby's face. Father, in Jesus' name. We lift up Malachi to you. We declare this is your righteous. This is your clean. This is your innocence and this is your purity. Now be bound by your word. Let this procedure go so smooth and so clean that even the doctors recognize that the hand of the Lord is on this baby's life. And one day we're gonna look back, Lord, and realize you've had your hand on this baby's life from the very beginning. So we speak healing, we speak strength, the body to cooperate with all the procedure and the calming and peace that comes across the parents and the grandparents and the family, knowing, God, that you have this well within your control. We bless you and we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. One day he'll be up here praying over people. Y'all believe that? Lift your hands with me if you won't mind. Let's just lift your hands, I wanna dismiss. Father, in Jesus' name, we recognize that we've been in your presence. We recognize, God, you've been in ours. The sober reality of the presence of God and the battle that we face every day was ever present. And we thank you, Father, for giving us discernment, confidence, a boldness, a courage, and a strength to release your word in the hearts and lives of your people. From this day forward, God, we'll never be the same as a church or a people. So we thank you, Lord. I expect healing to be made manifest in the lives of the people that we were prayed for today. And we expect to be testimony after testimony of the goodness of God, the grace of God, the love of God, and the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you guys.